gentle heart, um, really uh, all <clears throat> riffs on the themes from uh, Matthew chapter 11 as Jesus self-identifies as uh, uh, I am um, meek and lowly of heart, uh, gentle and lowly of heart, humble of heart. And so this morning we're going to be thinking about his compassion, but we're also going to be thinking about his anger. And I want you to be I want you to be thinking about how they work together, how they fit together, compassion and anger. And we pray that we'll see Jesus more clearly, but we also pray that the Lord would enable us to respond appropriately to injustice that we observe and suffering that we observe with compassion, but also with with anger at injustice itself. Uh, let us, uh, we'll, we'll be looking um, at the, the story of the, um, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and this is in uh, John chapter 11, and I'll begin reading at, um, at verse 24. Uh, John 11, uh, 24. Uh, when she had said this, she, um, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly to meet him, to meet Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews uh, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the womb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus, uh, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." When Jesus saw her weeping, uh, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Uh, Then uh, Jesus, uh, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, uh, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Um, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Well, what place uh, do emotions play in our human experience? 
We want to consider the place in Jesus' life, but also in our lives as well. Uh, Many of us may be suspicious of the place of emotions. Uh, We see harm done to people, for example, who are dealt with in anger. When we see an angry person, we think, well, that is a reactionary person, out of control, unstable, and really hard to be around. And often that's the case. We may recall ourselves being on the receiving end of angry behavior, and we may still deal with scars from that, some of them physical, some not. Or we may recollect when we have hurt others, We may fear our own emotions and we may feel powerless over them. We may feel like we are victims of them. That they are an unfortunate but necessary part of us. And that the more mature you are as a person, uh, the more you uh, suppress your emotions. So as they are not seen or evident. Now certainly... Uh, uh, our emotions are affected by the fall. But so is our intellect. So is our minds. Uh, Thinking can become distorted. Thinking can be selective. And it can even be irrational. And the will, we know that full well, that uh, we may... uh, think improperly about something, and then follow our shifting emotions, and we decide things that are clearly unbiblical and dangerous. Emotions are affected by the fall, but listen to this, people, they are not the result of the fall. Our perfect Jesus was not Spock. That stoical, Stone-faced, Star Trek figure. Pure intellect. Well, Spock isn't the ideal human. Jesus is. John Calvin put it this way, Jesus took on our flesh, clothed also with human feelings, so that he did not differ at all from his brethren. Sin only accepted. Doesn't differ at all with respect to feelings, emotions, just with respect to sin. This is the one who wept at Lazarus' tomb with both anger and compassion, we will see. The one who is now ascended and left behind, upon his ascension, left behind neither his body nor his emotions. In fact, we'll see him as an emotional man, feeling things strongly and frankly more strongly than we do. We don't squash our emotions, as some Christians have said or strongly imply. However, neither do we embrace them and give in to them unconditionally as the world now perhaps more than ever particularly requires my point this morning is that your Je- that uh, your Jesus is strongly and appropriately emotional and follow him in that your Jesus is 
strongly and appropriately emotional. Follow him there. We want to look first of all at Jesus' compassion. This is the most common description of Jesus' character throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels. It is his compassion. Splank nidzalmai. I love to say that. I get to say it again today. That, that compassion uh, that churned within him. It was in his gut, in his intestines. They were moved by the suffering of those around him. He was deeply compassionate. Uh, that definition, something like this. Feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow at another's suffering with strong desire to alleviate suffering. Do you get those parts? Feelings of, of deep sympathy and sorrow at another's suffering along with a strong desire to alleviate suffering. We see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was deeply compassionate. He saw a crowd of people who were harassed. They, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, they were spiritually sick. They were blind spiritually. They were confused. They couldn't help themselves. And worst of all, they, many of them thought that they were well. But they were sick. And what does he do? He feels deeply for them. But he also says, Let's fix this by God's grace. And he said, he said, may God send people to them to speak to them about me so I can help them. He wanted to help them. Matthew 14, the same thing. He saw, notice this in the Gospels, how Jesus sees. It's not just like a panoramic view. He focuses in. He observes people. He sees them. He, he, he notices them. He's not annoyed by them. They are not an intrusion in his schedule. He sees them with deep compassion. Many of them in that chapter, Matthew 14, many of them also, he saw them with compassion because they were sick. Bum legs, ulcers, blind, deaf, sick needing help. And so, of course, in his compassion, he alleviates their suffering. Of course, he healed them. Now, it is certainly true that Jesus' compassion is different from our own. Our response, our emotional response to suffering and to other things is, and to sins that we see in others is often sinful. Our responses Different from Jesus, often sinful. Many times we'll overreact. Uh, we'll, we'll see something, we'll see an injustice, and, and a rage will rise from within us. And, and then we become the righteous judge who, who damns people to hell if we could. We're the judge. We're outraged, and we give full vent to our anger. Less Common, less commonly known, I'll put it that way, is that we can also be sinfully underreactive. Do you hear what I'm saying? Easy to spot those who are sinfully overreactive, but we can be passive and sinfully underactive as well, unmoved by injustice, unmoved by seeing people 
mistreated by others, unmoved by their suffering and detached and tragically don't feel anything at all and don't do anything at all. Simon and Garfunkel, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say next, don't you? Some of you. Some of you who are of riper age, shall we say. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock, what? Feels no pain. Jesus' response to sin and to suffering is that he was never an island and he was always appropriate in his response. And so he comes here to Bethany. He comes, it says earlier in the text, because he loved them. He had compassion for them. He was there to care for them. And he saw Mary weeping. Uh, We see this in verse 33. Uh, Jesus saw her weeping and he came to her. Uh, with her also, uh, and the Jews who were with her also were weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in his spirit. Other versions put it this way He groaned, he sighed heavily, he sighed deeply, he was touched. But all of those. Um, translations of the Greek word there are are really uh, softening what's going on. Deeply moved in spirit doesn't doesn't do justice. This word appears in Greek literature uh, describing the snorting of horses that are heading off to war. They are aggressive. They are they're ready to fight. They're ready to take on all comers. And when it's describing people, there is a sense of outrage. There is a sense of, of emotional indignation. We talked about that uh, the other week. Indignation, which is an anger at injustice. An anger at injustice. So Jesus didn't just grieve. He didn't just feel empathy. He was outraged in spirit. Well, why? Well, about what was he outraged? A couple of things. They sort of overlap here. The cause of their grief outraged him. The cause of their grief. He was angry with sin. He was angry with the, the sickness and the death in this fallen world that all flow from, from the original sin. Satan's deception And mankind falling into rebellion against God, bringing a whole host of tragedy into this world that we know. Wreaking havoc in human lives, bringing untold suffering in Jesus. Jesus is outraged in spirit. He is angry at the root of it all because it's not the way things were supposed to be. And people were suffering and dying and paying for those sins in every breath that they took. He is outraged at the cause of their grief. He is also outraged at unbelief itself. I believe. Because they were grieving like pagans. They were weeping as if Lazarus would never be raised again. Would never live again. 
they were weeping with despair, without confidence. Jesus also wept, however, and his difference, his weeping was different from Mary's grief tears. It's a different Greek word used for Jesus weeping there. They are tears of lament, and of course they are not tears for, for Lazarus himself. He would call him out of the, soon, the tomb very shortly. But the same sin and death and the same unbelief that raised his outrage also raised his grief and his compassion. The same sin and death and the same unbelief that caused his, his, um, his outrage also caused his grief. He's angry at sin and yet compassionate towards sufferers. And what do we take away from this? Let's think for a minute about grief. Grief that appears... um, Grief and compassion that appear without, without anger. Do you hear what I'm saying? Grief and compassion that appear without anger. Uh, we might call them a sentimental mush, uh, but without an appropriate outrage at injustice. Compassion alone can immobilize us. Compassion alone can cause us to simply, oh, throw up our hands in just desperation and, and giving up. Anger actually gives energy to be able to respond to alleviate suffering. That's one of the gifts of anger. It motivates us to action. Not just feel bad about something, but by God's grace and in the right way to do something about it. So grief and compassion without anger is sentimental mush. But let's flip it. Anger at injustice. Anger at injustice. And oh boy, do we live in an angry day now. Anger at injustice, but without grief and compassion, hardens into self-righteous arrogance. In this angry time, many hate uh, the other side, uh, many uh, hate um, uh, people who disagree with them and are often driven by their own pride and blindness. We are to have compassion for those who suffer for all that we all are going through. And yet we can be so e- easily so given to arrogance that we're far too certain that we see things correctly and don't need any perspective from anyone else. Anger at injustice, but without grief or compassion. Well, how do you handle... We have a problem in this world in which we do not reflect Jesus' heart very well. How do you, how do you, how do you thaw a frozen heart? How do you thaw a frozen heart? Now, of course, as we think about this whole subject of emotions, we we recognize that we express emotion differently. All of us express emotion differently through our personality. And we're not we're not talking about about um, 
that, that one personality is a better than another personality right here. Some, some are more outgoing or more impulsive. Uh, on the other hand, some are more even-keeled and steady and unflappable. And you know who you are. <laughs> you know which is which for you. Well, um, it, it, what matters is what's going on in our hearts. And there is always a danger of being hardened and unmoved by another's suffering. We are always in danger of being unmoved and hardened as we observe the suffering of other people. I I must, again, uh, quote C.S. Lewis. We lock our hearts up uh, safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. We must be on guard of locking up our hearts so they do not feel the suffering of others. So be aware of what's going on in your heart. Secondly, is to confess your coldness, the walls that you put up and you keep people at distance. And here, my dear friends, when you are angry with someone else and lacking compassion for them, use the same hard edge, sharp edge of your criticism of that person and let it cut your heart first. This is from Bavink, a great comment from Herman Bavink. Turn the sharpest edge of your anger against yourself first. How am I like that person? How have I done that kind of thing myself? And be appropriately humbled from that. And if your pride is in fact blocking your compassion, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see how you're like them. And you name your pride, you name your arrogance before the Lord and say, have mercy on me, on me, the sinner, the bigger sinner than the person I'm angry about. And then you put that faith in action. You pray. You pray for eyes that see how a person is suffering. You pray for a willingness to be touched by their suffering. You pray for the wisdom then to alleviate their suffering. And it starts with just sitting in with a person and listening. I, I just this week, just this week, um, Gail and I visited with Jack and uh, Lauren and Jonna for, for just a few minutes um, uh, early, early in the week, and, and then, and then we heard, 24 hours, 48 hours later, that that COVID had had come into their home, and um, it was very helpful for me to enter into Jack and Lauren's experience by remembering by remembering my firstborn daughter, a little a little child like this, perfect, beautiful, lovely. I didn't know a human could love another human with that kind of depth when that little girl came into our lives. She's a 40-year-old woman now, okay? But I remember that. And my remembering that enabled me to more deeply and appropriately enter into the, the, the suffering that our dear friends were going through. Put you in the frame then uh, to, be able, to be able to care for them. Well, well, Jesus' perfect anger. 
Jesus' perfect anger. Um, how does compassion fit with anger? We so often get this wrong. If, if we stress Jesus' compassion, we so often soft-pedal his anger. If we stress his anger, we so often soft-pedal his compassion. But we'll notice that it is Jesus' compassion that fuels his anger. It is compassion for people that fuels his anger. Matthew 23. If, Ma- if 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, Matthew 23 is the, is the anger chapter. Seven different places, Jesus expresses cur- curses and punishment on the unrepentant Pharisees. Why? Why is there an unrelenting series of verses in opposition to the religious leaders of his day? It is because what fueled his anger? It was compassion for those they were oppressing, placing unnecessary burdens upon, and leading them to stray, astray. His compassion fueled his anger. Uh, B.B. Warfield gives us some, a great deal of help um, in an essay that he wrote I, um, around the turn of the century into the 20th century, um, in which he was expressing that anger is the appropriate response to evil and injustice. The anger is an appropriate response to evil and injustice. Um, Jesus, this is B.B. Warfield, Jesus could not be a perfect human and gaze on evil and be unmoved. Do you hear that? He could not be indifferent. A perfect man responds, or woman responds with indignation and anger towards injustice. It would be sinful for Jesus not to be angry at sin. And all the misery that it brings to earth. He loves us too much to remain indifferent. He would be, um, and yet his anger, of course, is without, without sin. B.B. Um, Warfield again. Compassion and indignation arise together in his soul. He is compassionate. And therefore he is angry at the injustice and the sin that produces the suffering in other people. Do you and I have uh, indignation? Here's the critical point for you. Do you have indignation without compassion? In other words, are you a person just given over to anger without an appropriate compassion for what the injustice is creating in other people? Finally, my last point. um, How do you manage... How do you manage your righteous anger? How do you manage your righteous anger? A couple of words we want to look at here. One of the first one is righteous anger. <laughs> is it righteous? Is, it, is, is your anger against what is causing God's name and God's glory to be clouded? Or are you just in a tiff? Are you just ticked off because someone has done something to you that you don't like? We can be so easily offended. Someone calls you out on something and you react in anger without any self-reflection as to whether maybe they've got a point, maybe they've got to look at something. And all you do is instinctively react in anger. It may be that this 
your anger is righteous because someone, even yourself, is being mistreated or slandered or a loved one is being abused. So don't be too quick to assume that your anger is sinful. Mine typically is. But don't make that assumption too quickly. What does Ephesians say? Be angry when it is called for, but don't sin. Be angry when it's called for. Paraphrase, but don't sin. Anger can be a monster. It can consume you. And you can suffocate on your own desire to be righteous. So is it righteous? Well, the second thing, how do we manage it? We don't give in to it. How do we manage it? We find comfort in this, that Jesus is angry with you. In fact, Jesus is angrier than you ever could be at this injustice. So let him be angry for you with a wrath that is being stored up to be poured out on the last day on the person who has inflicted this injustice upon you or upon a loved one. Jesus is gentle as a lamb to you, but he is fierce as a lion to the unjust. He is angry. Take comfort in this, my dear friends. He is angry with your tormentors for His glory, but also because of His boundless compassion for you. And He's basically saying to you, in your injustice, whatever it is that you're facing right now, He's basically saying to you, I got this. (laughs) I got it covered. Uh, Let Him take care of the vengeance. He'll do a far better job than you ever could. That is an awful, an awful judgment is coming that is beyond our comprehension even to grasp. And so your part, your part is let your debtor go. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven our debtors. Let your debtor go. He or she will have to deal with Jesus. So you let Jesus' compassionate heart rinse you clean, but you also let His justice-loving heart rinse you clean. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grant us, uh, even now, a greater sense of your compassion for us in our in our suffering, and even in our sin that we um, are urged uh, to take to you, you welcome us with your compassionate care. Father, grant us also a holy hatred towards evil. Let us have the, the courage and the wisdom to fight it properly. And let it all be done with the covering of your compassion over us and over this broken world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.